This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The mistake that you are making is thinking that that energy, that desire, and that output is somehow going to magically appear. And I am here to tell you, internal motivation does not exist when you need it. You felt the amount of motivation internally that you're going to feel all year when you wrote down your goals. Okay? You felt the internal motivation. You had the desire. You took the action. You wrote down the goals. Great, but that's not going to get you to change the behavior. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Mel Robbins. Mel is the best-selling author of some of your favorite personal development books, including The Five-Second Rule and The High Five Habit. Mel is also one of the most dynamic speakers that exists and has a TED Talk with over 28 million views. Mel is actually one of the only motivational speakers that I know that gets triggered by the word motivation. So help me in welcoming Mel Robbins to the podcast. (laughs) That's very funny. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So let's let's start there. It's the new year. It's, It's January. As we're recording, this is early January. This episode will come out next week. And there's a lot of people that are setting New Year's resolutions right now. There's a lot of people trying to change their habits. And a lot of people have this idea that all they need to do is get motivated to start and then they'll be able to achieve their goals. And I know you don't agree with that, so why? Let me frame it this way. You just said that you know all these folks are starting the new year, right? And they are setting goals and they're trying to change habits and that all they need in order to make this stick is motivation. And you know, here's the, the thing that I wanna say. Number one, there are two kinds of motivation. There is intrinsic, the internal motivation, and extrinsic the motivation that comes from outside of you. And I think, number one, most of us don't understand what type of motivation we're talking about when we say we just need motivation. You see, extrinsic motivation works every time. If I were screaming at you, you'd be very motivated to either get out of the room that I were in or to do what I say and comply. That is extrinsic motivation. If the police are chasing you, you will be motivated to run away from them, most likely. That is extrinsic motivation, right? If you have a child who falls into a swimming pool, you will be motivated to jump into that swimming pool to save them. 
That is extrinsic motivation. It is an outside event hitting you like a lightning bolt and shocking you into motion, either because you care about something that's happening, like your child in a swimming pool, or you're scared and so your instinct is to run or freeze, or because you are forced to by somebody like me screaming at you. So extrinsic motivation works all the time. The trouble that we all get into is that we think that intrinsic, internal motivation, the desire and the energy and the effort required to break a habit, to learn a new one, and to create new skills and practice new skills in your life. The mistake that you are making is thinking that that energy, that desire, and that output is somehow going to magically appear. And I am here to tell you, internal motivation does not exist when you need it. You felt the amount of motivation internally that you're going to feel all year when you wrote down your goals, okay? You felt the internal motivation, you had the desire, you took the action, you wrote down the goals. Great, but that's not going to get you to change the behavior. And so I want everybody to wake the fuck up and realize that you're not going to feel like doing what you need to do to change your life. That if you want to change your life, it requires effort, it requires consistency, and it also requires something most of us don't talk about in the personal development space when it comes to changing habits, and that is fucking compassion for yourself. You have had the same shitty self-talk for decades. You are not going to change it in one day. You have hit the snooze alarm every morning for the last 10 years. You are not going to break that habit overnight. You have been feeding your sadness with carbohydrates since you were eight years old. You are not going to break that habit with one healthy meal. And so one of the most important aspects of changing your life is number one, you got to realize you're always going to need to force yourself, push yourself to do what you don't feel like doing. That's number one. Number two, you're going to have to repeat that over and over and over and over and over again. What the research says is it takes 21 days of consistent effort to break the old pattern, but you need to repeat the 21 days three times in order to have the chemical, neurological, physiological loop lock into your mind, body, and spirit to make it part of your new default wiring. And so you got to understand, we're talking 66 days before it becomes kind of second nature. And finally, when you have a bad day and you stuff a potato chip in your mouth because you feel sad, or you scream at your kids because you get triggered, or you down an entire bottle of wine when you said you were going to do dry January, you must practice self-compassion. Because the major mistake that I see people making, Doug, is number one, they're waiting around to feel like it. And number two, the second that they do one bad day or they make one mistake, you chuck all your positive progress out the window and you go back to the way that you always used to do things. And one of the greatest skills ever is to go, okay, I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I forgive myself. And today I'm going to do a little better. That's right. it. And I'm so glad that you brought all that up and you unpacked it the way that you did, because you're right. There's so many people that have been caught 
in these negative habit loops for their entire life. And they think that all of a sudden they're going to wake up January 1st and everything's going to be completely different. They're going to be able to unwind the bad habits that they've been practicing for 10, 20, 30 years in a matter of days, matter of hours, matter of weeks. And the fact of the matter is it's just not possible. And you brought up something that I think a lot of people struggle with, and it's the way they talk to themselves because I believe, and I know you believe that the way you talk to yourself matters. And if you're telling yourself you're a piece of garbage every single day, then you're going to make choices that reflect that because that's how you feel about yourself. So I know you've struggled with this yourself in recent years. What have been some of your best practices to A, know what you're saying to yourself and how it's impacting you and then breaking those negative thought loops to be able to change it and start talking to yourself in a more compassionate way? So let's break this down for everybody. Because what you just said is how you talk to yourself matters. And that is so true, right? And so there are a couple elements to getting control over your negative self-talk, breaking it apart, and replacing it with a new way of speaking to yourself. And so the first step is self-awareness, because I am willing to bet my mortgage on the fact that you have no idea just how negative and relentless and horrible your self-talk is. You're so used to it, you've tuned it out. So the first step in changing from trashing yourself and bashing yourself to learning how to have your default become positive is to become aware of just how nasty, disgusting, and fucking awful your default way of talking to yourself is. And that's the hardest part. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. You can change this. Like, yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, but through repetition in less than 66 days, you can change how you feel about everything by changing how you speak to yourself. And, you know, that's not just some dumb platitude that Doug and I have pulled out of thin air. When researchers study every single skill and every single behavior change that you could take on in the new year or at any moment in your life, the number one behavior change or skill that has the biggest impact on your happiness and your fulfillment is being kinder to yourself. And so if you could become aware of how often you trash yourself, and then we're going to teach you to interrupt it, and then we're going to teach you to replace it with something that is kind you will see your whole life change, your whole life change. Right, absolutely. And I, and I think you brought up a really good thing in that you have to become aware of it and you have to realize that sometimes like the way you talk to yourself, like believe it or not, it does impact us and whether we want to admit it or not. I think sometimes people, when they're feeling so down about themselves, they have a hard time admitting that something in their life is going wrong because they're already feeling so low that the idea of even having something bring them even down lower, like scares the hell out of them, right? Yeah, so let's break this apart. Let's role play here, okay? So what was the sport that you played as a kid? I tried to play all sports. I wasn't very good, but I would say the, the, the sport that I was the most consistent with was basketball. Okay, so little Doug is on the basketball court and there's a foul and Doug is the person that is selected to shoot the free throw. And little Doug steps up to the free throw line. And then all of a sudden they call a timeout and you come running back to the huddle. What would be the most empowering and encouraging and motivating thing that your coach or teammates could do or say 
in order to help you perform and feel your best when you step onto that line. Like, I believe in you and you're going to make it. I believe in you and you're going to make it. You got this. And then they send you back into that game with a high five, right? How would that make you feel, little nine-year-old Doug? I'd feel pretty confident. Right. Now, how would little nine-year-old Doug feel if when you came back to that huddle and you're about to go do this free throw, that your teammates are like, oh, him? He's a piece of shit. Have you? He screws everything up. Are you kidding me? What? We're going to, what? Oh my God. Well, I, he shouldn't be the one that does. How would that make little Doug feel? It would probably obviously make me feel like I'm not going to make the shot. So why even bother? Correct. What you say to yourself matters. Right. And we understand that from a common sense perspective, but somewhere along the line, we have all stopped saying, you're going to make it. You got this. And we've started saying, you're a piece of shit. You're not good enough. Why even bother? And when you send yourself into a conversation, into a presentation, into even typing up an email, when you start your day by saying, I look terrible. I screwed up again yesterday. I hate my life. That's not going to motivate you to change it. And so your sense of feeling like the effort is worth it begins and ends with how encouraging, supportive, and kind you are to yourself. And, you know, we can also take this little role play exercise and go, well, let's say you miss the shot and you come back to the sideline again. What could your coach say or what would you want your coach to say to help you get your head back in the game and to brush off the mistake that you just made. Like you did your best, Doug, you'll get him next time. Like get back in there. And I have a feeling you're going to be a positive contribution to the team. Yeah, that's right. Shake it off. You did Shake your best. Off. You're going to do it next time. This is a, you win some, you lose some. Let's go. Now I need you to win some, right? I believe in you. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi green juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's Red Juice is going to help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. I think one of the, the role plays that we could maybe go into that I think is pretty common with people is that they acknowledge that they maybe have to start talking to themselves better, but whatever they start to say that's positive, there's this cognitive dissonance because they just don't believe it. So right. how do you get somebody who for the last 10 to 15 years has just been completely destroying themselves self-talk wise, begin to build some consistency with that. So now that becomes a new habit that they're talking to themselves in a more positive way and they actually believe it instead of just saying it. This is a phenomenal 
and really smart question. If you have been trashing yourself for 10 years, you do have a cognitive dissonance. You don't even hear it anymore because that negative, you're a piece of shit, you're not good enough, you screw everything up, first began as something you said, then it became a belief. Your brain started to align with the belief and it starts to become your identity. I always screw things up. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. If you are on social media and you ever go to the discover page on Instagram or on TikTok or on any platform, that social media platform has put together a mosaic of content that aligns with everything that you consume in your feed. That social media platform on the discover page has assembled a world on social media that looks just like the stuff you're always looking at. Your brain works exactly the same way. One of the reasons why it is so important for you to identify how often you are trashing yourself or being pessimistic or you are being negative in your attitude and unkind to yourself is because as long as you think and speak that shit, the discover page of your mind presents a world that matches to that negative dialogue. So that's why this is critical. The second thing that you need to do because you're unconscious to it, right, is there are two things that are going to work because just trying to speak kindly often doesn't work because you have so trained your mind that you think you're not good enough that saying, I'm good enough doesn't work because your brain literally looks at you and like, who are you talking to? Like, I, because I can't be you. So there's two things that will help you based on the research. The first one is journaling exercises, because there is something that happens when you create a new habit where every single morning before you look at that social media, you open up a blank page. And the way that I journal is very simple. I always start by writing down five things that I want, and I just let them flow through me. What are five things that I really want? And it might be something small. It might be that I want a really cool new pair of sneakers. It might be something big. I really want to feel happy. It might be something that is a feeling. Like, you know, this pandemic has kicked the shit out of everybody. I am not immune from the feeling of burnout or the feeling of languishing, the feeling of disconnection even from self that we can all feel when you're isolated for this long and you're remote for this long and you're stressed out for this long. And so allowing yourself to write down five things that you want. I want to feel like myself again. It allows the things that you desire to flow through the self-doubt and through the negativity and through all the crap that buries it and pushes it down and it allows it to come to the surface. And the writing it down is important because your mind is paying attention. That discover page that your mind creates pays attention to what you say is important. And if you begin a new habit of just starting your day with a blank piece of paper and writing down five things that you want, Every day, it can be the same things every day. It can be different things every day. You just allow yourself to do this. You will start to build the skill of being connected to what you desire. You will start to develop a skill of tuning out the self-doubt 
and tuning into what you want. And this is really important because your brain is paying attention and it doesn't require you to talk to yourself. It just write it on a piece of paper. The next thing that you're going to do, step two, is write down why you want these things. Because if you have a negative dialogue, Doug, you have for decades talked yourself out of the things that you want. You have filled your heart and your soul and your mind with all the reasons why it's never going to happen. And so by starting every day with a new habit, write down five things that you want and then write down why you want these things. You are developing a skill of listening to what you want instead of listening to the self-doubt. That's step one. That's one thing that you can do to fight decades of negative self-talk. The second thing that you can do is every morning after you brush your teeth, add a high five in the mirror to your reflection, to your morning routine. That will have a shockingly powerful impact on your negative self-talk. And the reason why it does is because your brain watches you do it and you only give a high five to somebody that you believe in, that you're rooting for, that you're kind to, and that you want to see win. And what we've found based on researching this simple habit, adding a high five to the mirror every single morning, you don't say a word. As stupid as it sounds, just high five the mirror. What we have found after researching this for 18 months and having 153,000 people from 91 countries do this for five days is that it has a profound effect on how you speak to and how you see yourself because it is an action that demonstrates to your brain that you care about yourself and you support yourself. And so those are two physical things that you can do to start to shut down and fight back against the critic that is programmed into your head. I think it's amazing that you've kind of put together this high five habit, but also you invite people to do deeper work as well. It's not as simple as just saying, hey, give yourself a high five and then your life's going to be fixed. It's like, no, you encourage people to do other things. You're talking about developing something called self-awareness where you're actually becoming aware of like, like what it is that's bothering you, what it is that you want. And then also like writing down like why I think is so important because I'm a trainer, so I see this a lot in the fitness space where people don't put an emotional connection to their fitness goals. They say, oh, I just want to lose weight. And it's like, that's not what they want. People want to be able to look at themselves in the mirror and be proud of their health. That's the emotional connection, right? People want to be able to carry the groceries up and down their steps when they get older. They want to be able to walk their daughter down the aisle. They want to be able to play with their kids when they get older. Like, those are the real reasons. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up. Can I share something? Because yeah. I think that that's a wildly important point, Doug, and it is completely missed by most of us. And I'm going to tell two stories. So every single morning, as part of my morning routine, I write down five things that I want in my journal, and then I write down why. And what's been really interesting about adding this practice to my morning routine is that I didn't realize, because of the cognitive dissonance, I'm just so used to feeling like I don't deserve to be happy or that something's wrong or focusing on what's wrong or beating myself up, that I was completely unaware of how much I was silently suffering in my life. It just was the autopilot mode I was on to focus on what wasn't working, to push myself relentlessly, to point out what I was doing wrong. 
that it wasn't until I started writing down five things that I wanted and the why I wanted these things that was really important. Because at the bottom of every why that you come up with is the singular thing that every human being wants. And that is, I just want to feel like I'm seen, that I'm happy, that I deserve to have these things just because I want them, that I am enough of a person for simply being alive, that it's okay for me to just want to feel better and happier. And, you know, when you talk about, for example, you just mentioned this example that you're a trainer and you have people come into the gym and just saying, I want to get in better shape is not enough. If you want to tap into the internal desire to change, go deep and get to the heart of the embarrassing thing that you don't want to say, because saying, I need to lower my cholesterol, that's not going to get you to have the force inside you to push yourself out of bed on a cold morning when it's seven degrees, like it was in Vermont this morning, and get out of bed and go exercise. But if you say, I haven't had my shirt off in public in 15 years, and I am tired of feeling like the most out of shape person, I am tired of my own behavior being a form of rejection, and I want to get in shape because I deserve to be proud of myself, and I'm sick of feeling like shit, and I want a six-pack because I want to take my shirt off, and I want to feel great about my body, and I want to experience an amazing orgasm, that will motivate you. You're so right, and a lot of times people will come to me, and I'll ask them like three or four why it's like so if somebody says i'll walk you through this somebody says i want to lose weight well why well because i'm just not fitting right in my clothes and i'll say well why does that bother you so much and it's like well you know it's like my belt's starting to get a little tight and i feel uncomfortable when i'm going out and i'm like well why does that bother you so much then normally they'll get like an emotional response like you know like i'll come home and just bawl my eyes out because all of my friends go to the gym they work out they're in shape and i just can't seem to do it and boom there you go and if I were to ask the, another why, I mean, what I normally would get is like, this is it. They're like, I'm just so tired of feeling unworthy. I'm so tired of feeling like I'm not enough. I'm so tired of being unhealthy, even though I should be doing it to take care of my family. And that's where you can really start to attach emotion to changing because when you don't want to go to the gym, it's not like, ah, I'm not going to the gym. I only want to lose weight. It's like, no, I better go to the gym because of what I told my trainer I wanted to do or what I told myself I wanted to do. I want to do this for my family. I want to do this for my self-esteem. I want to do this for me because I deserve it. Game changes, right? Yeah. You're not going to feel motivated or inspired to do the work if you're bashing yourself and saying, I need to lose weight. I'm a piece of shit. I, right. uh, but if you say, no, I deserve to be happy. And I know this is going to make a difference. You are building the skill of self-empowerment. You see, it's a skill to push yourself through the resistance that you're going to feel when you have to create a new habit. It's a skill to tune out the self-doubt and to push yourself and do it anyway. It is a skill to listen to a more positive voice in your head and tune out the negative one that you've been listening to for 20 years. 
And so instead of thinking in terms of habits and all these kind of patterns of behavior, I want you to think about the fact that what habits create in your life is they create skills. And self-awareness is a skill. Pushing yourself to take action when you're afraid or, or not feeling like it, that's a skill. Being kind to yourself, that's a skill. And when you have something as a skill in your life, you can use that skill to help you in every area of your life. Absolutely. I, I like to think of it as like you have to work these non-physical muscles, just like you work your physical muscles every day for them to get stronger. You have to work that self-talk muscle. You have to work that faith muscle, that gratitude muscle. And I go on and on with different examples because like they will get bigger. And over time, it'll become second nature for you to cheer yourself up or to pick yourself up when you fall. And I want to talk about like a buzzword that's big in the personal development space now, and that's manifestation. And I know you talk a lot about it, but I think a lot of people get manifesting wrong in that they think that, oh, I'm just going to write something down. I'm going to say a prayer and then things are going to come to me. And to me, I think that's total BS. I think you have to take action. What's your opinion on manifesting and how can somebody do it the right way? Manifesting is an incredibly important tool in your toolkit for a fulfilling and happy life. And most of us are doing it wrong. So manifesting done properly is the process by which you train your mind, body, and spirit to help you get what you want. Manifesting is not, based on the research, thinking about something and then it suddenly magically happens. And, you know, since so many of your listeners are, you know, people who are very, you know, spiritual and faithful, I'm sure you've had an experience where you've prayed and prayed and prayed for something and it's not coming, it's not coming, it's not coming. You go through the worst experience or breakdown of your life. I bet jail and getting arrested was probably this for you. And then it's 10 years later that you look back and go, oh my God, my prayers were answered, just not in the manner in which I had been praying they would be answered. And so... What I want you to understand is that if you want to use manifesting, here's how you're going to do it. Don't think about the end. Don't think about the mansion you want to buy. Don't think about the soulmate that you're going to meet. Don't think about the finish line on the marathon because thinking about the end doesn't help your mind, body, and spirit prepare you to do the work to get it. There are no, you know, get out of jail free cards in life. There just aren't. You're going to have to put in the work to get the real results that you want. And so what you do when you manifest properly is you're going to visualize the bridge or the path in between where you are today and where you want to go. So, you know, why don't you pick something that you want, Doug? What's a goal of yours for this year? Oh, let's see. A goal of mine for this year is I want to get my podcast to a point where it's helping tens of thousands of people. Okay. So you just said that I want to get my podcast to a point that it's helping tens of thousands of people. Now that you have identified what your goal is, let's back up to the present moment and let's do step two. Step two is now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to visualize what are all of the tedious, annoying, boring, hard things 
that you need to do that you're either not doing now or you need to do more of? Start to list them out. Being more consistent on social media, engaging with other podcasters, just being consistent and practicing patience, getting more creative, and not being scared to invest money. That's the big one. Right. That's the big one. So you just said that you needed to be more patient. You needed to stop being afraid to invest money. You needed to connect with more podcasters. You needed to be on social media more. Now, what you do, now that you have a list of all the things that you need to be doing that you're not doing or you're not doing enough of, for a lot of people, they don't know. Okay, well, I don't know. I know what I want, but I don't know what the work is. Just find somebody on social media or out in the world who has the thing that you want, study what they did, and write all those things down as an action. But generally, there are videos you can watch, there are events you can go to, there are webinars that you can take, there are books that you can read. The information of what to do is out there. So how do you use visualization now that you know what you want and you know some of the actions that you need to take that will take you in a path leading toward what you want? Well, now what you do is every single morning, you're going to add to your morning routine, writing down five things that you want. And one of those things is going to be, I want whatever it is that the goal is. In your case, it is, I want my podcast to reach tens of thousands of people, right? Then the why, you know, why you want to do that. Why do you want to reach tens of thousands of people, Doug? Because I feel that I have a strong message and I want people to use hard times to, to grow and make themselves better and not use it as an excuse to make their situation worse. Okay, now let's make it about you. How do you feel when the stuff that you're putting out impacts people? I feel amazing because it continues to reinforce that there was purpose in a lot of the pain that I went through when I was younger. There's your why. You feel fulfilled turning the tremendous pain that you felt into a sense of purpose. And that purpose is acknowledged when you hear from people who listen to your podcast. That's your why. That's the intrinsic source of motivation for you. It's not about them. Anybody who wants to make a difference in the world, the reason why you're motivated to do that is because it feels so good for you. I'm dead serious about this, and there's nothing selfish about it. That's why it feels so good to volunteer. It's why it feels so good to give back, because you get something. You get affirmed as a human being that your time, your energy, your pain matters. And that's so important. So now that you feel that feeling inside your body of why you want this thing, because it makes you feel like you matter, it makes you come alive, whatever the reason is, now you're going to close your eyes and you said the hardest thing for you is going to be to invest money in growing this podcast. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to describe for me an image of how much money and what you're actually investing in, okay? So describe that scene for me. Put me at the scene. So I'm investing in production. I'm investing in somebody to help me do some of the tedious tasks that you know I'm working, that I'm like staying up super, super late that can be overwhelming at times because I still do have a training business. I'm investing in travel to network with other podcasters and meet different people at conferences. Mm -hmm. And I, and as you see the money going out the door, what are you feeling 
that's negative in your body? It's uncertainty. Where do you feel it in your body? In my legs. You feel it in your legs? Okay. Yeah. And I don't know why. I think it's because I hold a lot of stress in my my hips, but... Well, it's a try... That You know what that that is, by the way, is that's your nervous system feeling uncertainty. That's where you feel it. Right. This is how you manifest properly, by the way. Right here. You have to visualize in your mind writing the check and feeling the pain in your legs of uncertainty. You have to visualize in your mind, sitting in that plane seat, flying to a conference, feeling the pit in your stomach, being worried about whether or not anyone's going to take you seriously because there's all these big podcasters there. You need to feel your chest contract and squeeze in as you walk up to somebody that you deeply admire and you start a conversation or you walk up to an event organizer and say, I'd like to apply to be on a panel next year. How do I do that? And your chest gets really tight because you feel like you don't belong there because you don't have the numbers yet or whatever your stupid story is. When you picture that in your mind and you feel the negative sensation in your body, you are doing resistance training. This is how you align your mind, body, and spirit to not resist the hard stuff. Here's a cool fact about your brain. Your brain doesn't know the difference between you actually spending the money, buying the plane ticket, getting on the plane and flying to that event, or you imagining it in your mind. And when you run through the hard things that you're avoiding in your mind and you allow yourself to feel the negative sensation in your body, you are training and mentally rehearsing the exact same way Olympic athletes do with the nine sports psychologists that the U.S. Olympic team has to help our athletes prepare. You are mentally rehearsing before the actual event so that your mind and your body are trained to anticipate and push right on through all the stuff that's scary because you've already rehearsed it. That's how you use manifesting to help you do the work to get what you want. Wow. I'm so grateful that we that we kind of brought that up and that you helped walk me through this. What did you get out of that? I, one, I became aware of not only what I need to do, but like what's the fear that's attached to it? What is the fear? Well, the fear is always going to be uncertainty or scarcity because I think the one thing that's been beneficial to me in my life is that I've always had my back against the wall from being somebody who was a convicted felon in jail, you know, not growing up with a ton of money, that sort of thing, where I've always been forced to just hustle, 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 work, 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 where I'm used to this kind of situation. But the, on the flip side, the negative is I'm so used to being stressed because I grew up in a stressful environment. I, I put myself in a stressful environment from selling drugs and doing drugs for a majority of my life when I was younger so that a lot of times now I've had to become aware of when I'm creating more stress around something that's a good thing instead of something that's that you know I would have seen back in the day as something that was bad or whatever. Can I unpack that? Sure. So you just said that you realize that you're used to having your back up against the wall, that having been a kid that grew up in a very chaotic household who then turned to dealing drugs, who then got arrested and was convicted as a felon and served time behind bars, all of which I'm very familiar with because I used to be a public defender in Manhattan, 
So I have not served time, but I have represented people accused of crimes and who have committed crimes and who have served time for a large part of my career. And one of the things that I want to point out is that you were attracted to the chaos of selling drugs because it's all you knew as a kid in your home and it felt familiar. And this is why it can be really challenging to break old patterns. And that's because patterns are familiar. And if they're familiar, they just repeat automatically without you even realizing it. And so here you are now, how many years have you been out of jail? Gosh, so December 26th just marked 13 years. So 13 years. On December 26th, it was 13 years since you were released from federal prison. Or, Amazing. No, count, or county jail, yeah. but Okay, well, county jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still a felony conviction, yep. 13 years, you're behind bars. You have turned your entire life around, but there is one pattern that still runs your life. And the pattern that runs your life is chaos. And if you don't identify that chaos and friction and feeling on edge is what you're so familiar with, if you don't identify that now and recognize all the places in your business where you are creating chaos, creating friction, and putting yourself on edge, that pattern will keep you from living into your full potential. And so here's what I would do. I would make a list of every aspect of your daily life or business that creates chaos, that causes friction internally, or leaves you feeling on edge. And then I would do the work this year to put systems, people, process in place so that you create new patterns. I can relate to this so profoundly, not because I've served time behind bars, but because like so many people, having stored trauma from being molested as a kid, uh, you know, when I was nine years old in my nervous system, I have lived my whole life from the age of nine till about 46 when I first started understanding that this was stored trauma and understanding that my anxiety was largely due to the fact that when that happened to me at the age of nine, my nervous system went from calm and cool and resting to on edge, stressed out, fight or flight. And it probably never flipped off of that. My dominant pattern, Doug, is being busy and being on the run and being on the move because if I can be two or three steps ahead of everybody else, I'm going to be safe. And so the thing that doesn't work in my life is that my whole business up until very recently was organized around a pattern that's Mel's running to catch a plane, Mel's running to do this, Mel's on the move. And I hated how it felt, but I had no idea how to stop being so busy and stop being on the run because I equated being on the run with safety and with control. And it's the opposite. You see, these patterns that we develop when we're a kid made us feel safe when we were a kid because they were familiar. But now that they're an adult, they're screwing up our lives. And so I have gone through the same exercise very recently. What are all the things in my business and that I'm doing in my day-to-day -day life that I hate? What are the things that cause friction? You know, where is this behavior making me miserable? 
And now I am going to work with removing all the friction, removing all the busyness. And I'm going to tell you one, first of all, what are you getting out of me sharing this? Well, I'm, I'm very thankful because my audience is going to totally relate to this. And that's kind of why I shared what I shared, because there's so many people that struggle with this very thing. And I was very fortunate that I was in a therapist's office, probably, I don't remember, six or seven years ago. And I was stressed and I had nothing to be stressed about. I was making good money. I was writing books and I had just written, or I just written my first book and my therapist was like, like, what was your childhood like? I was like, ah, oh, my parents got divorced. And I just started explaining what happened. She's like, you grew up in chaos. So you, like you said, your nervous system is going to seek out more chaos. And then I, then it began to, it began to make sense because she was like, you have a certain level of homeostasis that your body is used to. And your body is always going to revert back to that. You have to create a new normal. And I was fortunate that I learned, I mean, I'm still aware of it. And I think just through, I'm aware of it and I still make mistakes based on it just because I'm still working through a lot of that. But there's a lot of people that as you're saying that, they never figure it out because they're like, they just they just accept the fact they're always going to be stressed. You don't have to be. Like, I think the place, if you want to heal, if you want to be happier, the place to really focus all your work on is regulating your nervous system. And there's lots of ways you can do it. You can do it through cold exposure therapy, by climbing into an ice bath and learning how to breathe yourself through the discomfort for 30 seconds to a minute. You can do it through EMDR. You can do it through guided psychedelic therapies, you know, with a licensed therapist, but you're not going to talk yourself out of a nervous system response. You can also put your hands on your heart. This is something I write about in the high five habit and press on your vagus nerve and say, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm loved, which will bring you back into your body and it'll flip the switch between your fight or flight sympathetic nervous system back into the parasympathetic nervous system. And so there are things you can do, but understand that these patterns get triggered at an emotional nervous system level before your brain catches up. And so the reason why, for example, when I asked you, you know, hey, visualize yourself writing a check that's scary. And you said, I feel that in my legs. That's your nervous system. That's where you're stored tension, trauma, and stress activates. It can be different for everybody. And so, you know, back to the advice I was giving you, you have to write down all the areas where you are unknowingly creating chaos. And I remember this person said something to me when I first got involved in the speaking business and I, my career started to take off. And he said, you know, Mel, you better say, yes to every speech you can get because speakers on the corporate circuit get hot and then they disappear. And this is a fad. And that triggered that like, I got to go, 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 go. So for five years, I said yes to absolutely everything I possibly could because my husband and I were in a horrendous financial situation and we desperately needed the money. And I ran myself into the ground, not because I was being intentional, but because this pattern of being busy kicked into full gear, but it was driven by fear. It was driven by fear. And I believe that as much work as you have done on yourself, turning your whole life around and now serving so many people and making a huge difference and building this business, if you dig deep, what drives the fear of spending the money and investing yourself is a deeper fear. 
Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. And it's forcing me, or just thinking about it now, it's forcing me to just to reinforce that the work never stops. Like there's always going to be something that comes up. And I think a lot of people think of healing as they climb this mountain, they put a stake in the ground, they're like, yep, that's it, I'm done. And it's not what happens. And I think that's why a lot of people they stay stuck and they develop this fixed mindset because they don't have the humility to look in the mirror and say, you know, like I need to improve this. I need, there's this, this area of my life needs some healing. I need to do some work. And we touched on obviously some things that I need to work on personally and professionally. But I guess my question back to you is, you know, so the high five habits been out now for several months. We just got through the holidays. What's been like something recently since the book came out where you've had to give yourself a high five and pick yourself back up after you were in a negative self-talk loop, you were feeling low about yourself. Was there something? And if so, what what was it? It's basically every day. Yeah. You know, you just said you've written the high five habit. It's a wildly successful book. Is there a moment that you have to pick yourself back up? You know, the reason why I start every day with a high five in the mirror as part of my morning routine, and I do it like it's now, I've repeated it so many times, I don't even think about it because it's just like brushing my teeth. I brush my teeth. I wouldn't even think about starting my day without brushing my teeth. I wouldn't think about starting my day without high-fiving myself in the mirror and experiencing the benefit neurologically and chemically to what it does. I need one every day. Life is fucking hard. I mean, just this week, I have one daughter who has started a new job after graduating from college, having had two years of her college experience imploded. And she is starting remote at a large tech company. She is profoundly capable and she's a nervous wreck. And that makes me feel sad and distracted and upset for her. We have another daughter who is a junior in college and who has, which basically means she's had six months of a traditional college experience who just got word that school is now pushed back a week, it's starting remote, that rushes online, you know, just things that seem trivial, but it's her whole world. And so her trying to grapple with how to make sense of the ever-changing world that we live in. Uh, I was supposed to fly down and see my parents who are on the panhandle of Florida this weekend. And given the the surge that we're in the middle of, I think I need to push this thing off because there's connections involved and I don't want to spend the weekend in the airport. And it's a lot of money to fly down there right now. And not that I don't have it. And I'm kind of feeling like, God, I don't want to disappoint my mom, but I really don't want to spend two days in an airport. And what do I do? And so it's like, Mel, come on, make, a, make the phone call. Every single day, life is going to throw situations, emotions, distractions, stuff at you that you can't control. And the whole game is how you support yourself in responding to it. And so I have developed the skill of being so in tune with my nervous system. And when I'm kind of in my body and feeling comfortable in my own skin, and when I am triggered and I go on edge. And the second I feel myself go on edge, I have a skill of putting myself in pause, five, four, three, two, one, and checking in with myself and getting aware of what is going on. And let's take the example of why, you know, the high five help this morning of feeling 
on edge about calling my parents, who we haven't seen since end of September, and saying, I think we should push this off three weeks. It's my mother's birthday. I deeply miss them. I want to see them. And I know in my heart the right decision is to push this off a couple weeks. And yet I still feel the emotional trigger. Am I going to disappoint somebody? Does that mean I'm a bad daughter? Am I a selfish jerk for doing this? All of which could either settle in and put me on edge all day, or I could recognize that's what happens and go five, four, three, two, one. I'm not thinking about that. I'm going to do what works and what feels right for me. I know I'm a good daughter and I know that this is the right decision. And my mom and dad can have their reaction. And when I see them three weeks from now, when there are less flight delays and the weather is better and I have more time to spend with them, we won't even remember the moment I made the phone call and said. So every single day, you have to practice these skills because life is always changing. Like, that's why I like thinking about it like skills. You know, writing words on a piece of paper is a skill. You use it every day. Scrolling through your phone is a skill. You use it and practice it every single day. Drinking a cup of water is a skill. You use it and practice every single day. Self-awareness is a skill. Recognizing when you're on edge is a skill. Knowing how to come and get back into your body and become aware of what's triggering you and then work through it and choose how to respond based on your values, that's a skill. And in life, you need to draw upon, strengthen, and practice these types of skills every single day. So beautifully said, and thank you so much for opening up and sharing that, because I think that's something that a lot of people, especially the last few years, have struggled with. A, it's people-pleasing, right? Like being afraid of doing the right thing for themselves because they fear it's going to hurt somebody else. And then also regulating yourself and not creating more stress in your life, which then, you know, you and I have both struggled with coping with substances, you know, to help numb anxiety, stress, and that's not good either. And there's a lot of people that do that. So if you were to say you had like one or two things other than the five second rule that when you're feeling emotionally charged, you give yourself the five, four, three, two, one, and then you do something to kind of get your, you know, body back to some sort of stability, like what would those things be? Okay. So in a moment of stress, what are the top tools that you can use? I can think of a number of them. You already mentioned the first one. So the first one is the five second rule. Simply counting backwards, five, four, three, two, one, interrupts your nervous system response and it interrupts the racing thoughts. And it gives you just a moment where you can choose what you do next. And so you could Count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and take an action to respond. Or what I often do is I count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, to stop the racing in my mind and to stop my heart from taking off in terms of flooding my body, you know, with adrenaline and cortisol and all this, five, four, three, two, one. And I put myself in pause. I take a deep breath and I just do nothing for a minute, deciding not to react is a powerful way to react. Gathering yourself is a power move. And so that's number one. The second thing that you can do in moments where you get triggered or stressed or you feel the emotional wave come on, get outside, put your phone 
in your back pocket, preferably turn it off and take a walk. Simply getting outside for 10 minutes will slow your breathing down. It will raise your gaze and attention on something other than the whatever situation train wreck that just happened or the phone call you need to make or the text you just got. A 10-minute walk outside will work wonders in settling your mind and your body. A third thing that you can do is you can get out a blank piece of paper and you can do what I call a brain dump. Get all that crap that you're thinking out of your mind and just write and write and write just as if you are barfing after a big night of drinking. Just barf it all out on a piece of paper. Get it out of your head. And as you stop writing, ask yourself anything else and just keep writing. And it'll just be a mishmash of stuff, but eventually... You'll get it out of your head and your body, and you will calm down. A fourth thing that you can do, if you have a bathtub, you can draw a bath, and soaking in a hot tub will stimulate your vagus nerve, and it will settle your body. A fifth thing that you could do is you can run a cold shower and step into a cold shower. Let me tell you something. I don't care how horrible that text was that your ex just sent you. If you step into a cold shower, it is so shocking that the only thing that your brain and your nervous system will pay attention to is the cold shower. Get in there and stand in there for 30 seconds to a minute and breathe through it. And something miraculous will happen. You will literally feel a flood wash over your body. Those are five free things that you can do that will help you take control in a moment where life has triggered you and made you scared or anxious or freaked out or whatever. Those are all amazing tools and I've used every single one of them. And the cold shower is, oh man, that's another level. I saw that you did the Wim Hof training and got in the cold tub. And I tell you, that's one of the things that has helped me the most, especially with my self-confidence. Because I remember when I stepped in the cold tub, I don't know how you felt, but I didn't think I could last five seconds in there. It was so freezing. And then the more you do it, and over time, you're able to build up resilience to the cold and you could last a couple minutes in there. And then you feel like a million bucks. It's just like, wow, like I never thought I could do this. And then I just did. Kind of like you, I know you tell the story in your book about running the marathon, like how much that helped you when you're looking back and focusing on some things that you've achieved. I saw recently you posted on your social media that one of the biggest lessons you learned in 2021 was the importance of self-forgiveness. So like what was something last year as we kind of bring our conversation to a close, like what was one of the biggest things last year you had to forgive yourself for? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I think that I really, really hard on myself. And, or at least I had been. And last year, in the process of, you know, writing the High Five Habit book and in learning the skill of being kind to yourself, the hard part of learning how to be kind to yourself is that you wake up and realize how awful you've been to yourself. And I think that the biggest thing that I've had to forgive myself for is all the mistakes that I made because I didn't know any better. You know, I, I did plenty of things that could have had me behind bars, whether it was shoplifting or it was stealing. Well, I guess that is stealing, right? When I was younger, I cheated in relationships when I was younger. And it's something that I deeply, deeply regret. But I also know that I didn't know any better. 
And I know it was driven by pain. Do I wish that it wasn't part of my story? The people in Pleaser in Me does because, you know, I don't want, you know, to admit that I did something like that. But the truth is, I'm glad it's part of my story because it's one of the reasons why I'm so compassionate. It's one of the reasons why I understand how much people silently struggle because I've lived it. And I also understand how hard it is to forgive yourself. And for me, forgiveness means you have stopped wishing that things were different, that you are able to accept what is and what isn't. You are able to accept what has happened and what hasn't happened. And that doesn't mean that you like it. It just means you've stopped spending time and energy wishing it could change. Because as long as you spend time and energy wishing things were different, you are trapped in the past. And so accepting it, forgiving yourself, and understanding why you did what you did, that's the only path that I've found to being able to forgive myself for the things that I used to wish I hadn't done. But now I accept, I understand, I've learned the lesson, and I know it's part of my story. Once again, thank you for your complete transparency and vulnerability when you share that. And I know people listening to this are going to relate because I think forgiveness in itself is super challenging to forgive somebody else. But when it comes to self-forgiveness, it's a whole other ballgame. And especially if you're in a place, which a lot of people are, where they're feeling like crap about themselves or having this negative self-talk, asking them to like let go of something or, any, or acknowledge what they did wrong and then let go of that and accept it as part of their story is incredibly challenging. But like you just shared, it can be so transformational in your story, in your mindset, and how you go about your day and help other people. So Mel, I wanted to thank you for coming on. This was awesome. Our conversation is going to help so many people, and I encourage people to go to melrobbins.com and check out both of your books and buy them both and then follow you on social media. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No. And if you can't afford a book, we put out literally a video every day on YouTube. We have over a million subscribers, and we're just getting started. And you can find me on any of the social media platforms, and 99% of what I do is free. So, you know, if you want to buy a book, fantastic. But, you know, look, if you are just looking for more information, just check out Mel Robbins on social media anywhere and you will likely find a video or a post that will help you in some way. And speaking of social media, what I'd like you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Mel just said about forgiveness. Maybe it was something that she said about the high five habit. Maybe it was something that she said about breaking negative thought patterns, whatever it was, tag Mel, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.